This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 247 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my ex account is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so do you remember the card show recap I did a few weeks ago where I talked about? how much I hate driving. And keep in mind, that was just a five-hour round trip. Well, I just wrapped up an impromptu 16-hour round trip to watch the Pacers in Atlanta, and I am so happy I went. In fact, this is a game Bill Simmons has labeled the best NBA game of the season so far. That was on his Wednesday pod, and yeah, I realize it's early. Obviously, though, I've got to talk a little bit about that trip at the top of today's episode. And then, as you saw from the title for today's main segment, I brought Jake Roy back on to give some of his hobby hot takes. Now, you might remember, I already had a hot takes episode where I heard from 10 or 15 different people. I asked him to be a part of that, and he wasn't able to get his clip in on time, which is probably for the better, because he had, I don't know, like a dozen of them he was willing to share. It made for a fun reason to bring him back on. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, this Atlanta trip, got to talk about it. So I had the entire week off for Thanksgiving break. And heading into this break, I did something I do before nearly every major break of the school year. And that is to check the Pacers schedule to see if I can somehow go to any of the games that week. And more often than not, this exercise doesn't amount to anything unless they have a game locally in Orlando or Miami. Those, those are really the only teams that are, you know, a decent a, a decent distance from my house, I should say. Well, I noticed they were in Atlanta on Tuesday for an in-season tournament game, and that drive is not a decent distance, in my opinion, because it's between seven and eight hours. I kind of laughed at the thought of going and then just continued about my day. But then I found myself looking at routes on Google Maps, and then tickets on StubHub, and you see where this is going. Now, Mrs. Wax Museum had to work, so she couldn't go, but she started looking at hotels. So I knew the trip already had her blessing. So that was in the back of my mind. And come Monday morning, I still hadn't completely decided, but I knew I would really regret it if I ended up watching the game from home instead, unless they got you know, just annihilated, which I've, I've been to games like that before too, and, and that makes for a long drive home. But, um, and then also, even though I know the in-season tournament isn't really a big deal, but I think it's kind of fun. I thought it would be fun to see one of those games as well. So I booked my hotel, 
and I bought my ticket, and at this point, there was no going back. And the drive there, even though I, I complain and I talk about it, it really wasn't all that bad. I didn't hit traffic until um, maybe, you know, there was about an hour left, which then turned into two hours, but I left at 5.30 in the morning, so I had plenty of time. I had no idea my hotel was about a mile and a half from the Carter Center and the Jimmy Carter Library, so uh, I even had some time to swing by there. I like historic stuff, so that was a, a lot of fun. And anyway... Eventually, the gates to the game opened, and of course, I took some stuff to get signed. My big success of the night was finally getting Benedict Mathern to sign something for me. I had a photogenic rookie card that pictured a game I went to in Orlando. So I I like collecting those cards, and then now I like getting those signed. So I was pretty excited to get that one signed. And from there, it was onto my seat, which was row FF. I think it was like six or eight rows behind the Hawks bench. Apparently, this also included access to something called the Players Club, which had unlimited hot dogs, burgers, pizza, popcorn, sodas, ice cream, all that kind of stuff. I'm not kidding when I say I ended up with major heartburn at the hotel later that evening because I was like a kid in a candy store. You know, they say act like you've been there before. So on the outside, I I was, you know, had a pretty calm demeanor, but I was pretty excited on the inside. So Anyway, here I am talking about autographs and food and everything else. I need to talk about the actual game. So earlier in the day, I saw a tweet that tracked the highest over-unders since 1995, and this game was number one at 252.5 points. In other words, both of these teams push the ball, and neither one of them really plays any defense. Well, if you are a gambling man or a gambling woman, and you picked the over, you were right. And it wasn't even close. The two teams combined for 309 total points, which is absurd. The Pacers scored the most points that they've scored in franchise history. And while it was close for the first few minutes, it seemed like it got out of hand pretty quick. And I was already feeling bad about making this trip because at one point in the second quarter, the Hawks were up 20. And I realized the NBA is a game of runs now. Um, So, you know, a a 10-point lead isn't nearly as devastating as it used to be, but 20 points to me still seems pretty rough. Not so much for this Pacers team, though, because of the insane pace they're playing right now. And and really, they've always been a slow team. Uh, That is not the case anymore. And if you were only looking at the Pacers' points at halftime, you would assume they had a big lead because they had 73 points. But they were actually down 13. Yes, that's right. They gave up 86 points in one half, so no defense being played. Now, luckily, the Pacers have Tyrese Halliburton, and you might remember I said he is a top 15 player in the NBA. I said that a few weeks ago. Well, he's playing even better than that right now. I want to read a stat line off for you real quick. 26 points, 8 of 9 field goals, 7 of which were 3-pointers, 1 rebound, 4 assists, 1 block, and 1 steal. And that sounds like a great game, but that's what Tyrese did in just the third quarter. So now he has two games this year where he's, he's scored 25 points in a quarter. It's insane. And seeing it in person on the road is a lot of fun because you get to take in some of the environment that you just can't experience if you're watching on TV at home. And as each one of these deep threes went in, you could kind of hear the air being let out of the building you know, people were deflated, right? And they were just legitimately upset, like yelling, hey, why don't you put a hand up? Why don't you cover him? Well, you know, when he was covered, he was making cross-court passes for assists. So, you know, it's easier said than done. Now, 
Come the fourth quarter, the Hawks did adjust, and, and they trapped him nonstop. He didn't score any points in the fourth quarter, but he was still dishing the ball out to other people, and someone had to step up, and that player mainly was Buddy Heald, who ended up with 13 in the fourth. So the teams traded blows, but ultimately the Pacers came out on top, and they clinched a, uh, a spot in the in-season tournament quarterfinals in the process. Now, I've been to enough blowouts that I've learned to really just relish these moments. It was similar to a game I went to in Miami last year when Tyrese notched his career high. So, you know what? I enjoyed it. Now, granted, I'm not an obnoxious fan on the road. I'm not even really all that loud at, at home games. A few times I've, I've gone to those in the last, I don't know, decade and a half. I've only been to a couple in the last 10 years. But um, even though I'm, I'm not obnoxious, or at least I don't feel like I am, I definitely make sure to take it all in. And that's what I did here. So there's a lot more that could be said about this game. I'm sure I'll think of something I missed right after I'm done recording here, but I just got off the road a couple hours ago. And I'll be honest with you, my brain is mush right now. Uh, I am so tired, but uh, like I said, it was a lot of fun and I wanted to make sure and share that with you guys today. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com. Are you tired of spending hours listing cards for sale? I am. I stopped that years ago. If you're like me, then you're in luck because the ComC consignment marketplace is the easiest place to sell cards online. ComC will identify, scan, list, store, insure, package, and ship, which is my least favorite part, the shipping, Just send them your sports cards, trading cards, and collectibles, and they will take care of the rest. All you do is set the price. Visit compc.com today to start selling your cards. Okay, and then real quick, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link, and using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, Simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Josh, a.k.a. Mitten State Collector on Instagram. You are listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, the best podcast by someone with a secret pistons PC. Okay, so joining me today is someone you're probably very familiar with by now. One, he's been on the show at least three or four times before, but then also he's been putting out quality basketball content for years now via his YouTube channel, 90s B-Ball Cards. Jake, I think I just saw a video where you were ripping old upper deck packs, hunting for those elusive UD game jerseys, uh, which we talked about in our Reggie Miller conversation as well. I think I remember the odds off the top of my head, but can you hit me with that number one more time? Uh, off the top of my head, if I remember correctly, it is one in 2,500 packs. Okay, so one in every 2,500 packs. I know I've seen you hunting for these several times now. Maybe not 2,500 packs worth, but how many do you think you've realistically worked your way through by now? Oh, that's a good question. I would say it's probably been at least 100 packs over the course of my lifetime. Probably, I'd say less than half of those have been on the channel, though. Okay, so well, and that's what I figured. Yeah, hundred packs. That's that's still pretty, uh, pretty good amount of packs, and uh, we're still hunting, right? It's still maybe someday. 
Um, I know you got your penny at the national though already, but there's yep. still something kind of exciting about that hunt. And correct me if I'm wrong, there's still a second version of the penny that you need, right? You got it. Yeah, the home version is now the one, uh, you know, it's uh, not one that I had uh, as high on my list as the away that I that I got that you, uh, you know, you eagle eyed for me. But uh, yeah, the home the home will get a home in my PC eventually. Right. OK, well, and maybe maybe you'll just happen to pull it. Who knows? Uh, I'd like to speak that into existence if possible. But let's get to what we're really here to talk about today. A couple weeks ago, I invited Jake to be part of my listener hot takes episode. Well, you know, honestly, I didn't give him a lot of notice and life kind of got in the way. So he wasn't able to get a clip in on time. You know, no big deal. I didn't think much of it. But Jake, when I was chatting with you after that episode aired, I could sense some major FOMO on your end and uh, we can't have that. So I said, okay, if you've got a hot take, send it my way. And about 10 minutes later, I think you hit me up with probably a dozen, if not more. So the format today is pretty simple. I'm going to read those off to you one at a time. I'll give you a little time to flesh it out and we can chat about it. And then we'll move on to the next. Does that sound like a plan? I'm looking forward to it. All right. So uh, the first batch of hot takes that we've got for you today involves grading. So uh, the first one that you sent me said that PSA 9s are just as nice as PSA 10s for collectors go ahead and take me through that yeah in my opinion uh you your naked eye is not going to be able to perceive the difference between a nine and a ten so if you're looking for a card in your collection you might as well save a little bit of money get that nine and keep on moving up and getting other cards in your collection okay so now if this take had come from ryan mind cycle cards who's got you know he's got the prism gold Jokic rookie in a binder uh, I'd probably say, yeah, okay, whatever. But I've watched your channel enough to know the grade might not matter, but you do seem to still want stuff graded. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Oh, yeah, that's definitely a fair assessment. I'm very picky on what I get graded. Um, the interesting thing, I was actually uh, at the National this year, and I had an Iverson card with me that I traded for as a kid, and I graded recently in the last year or so. It's got a PSA 10, uh, and I, I had it available and i was i was almost going to trade it to a, a dealer and you know he asked me the story of the card and i told him exactly that and he said well you know if you have all that sentimental value i don't want to take it from your collection and i said no, no no it's fine i have another copy of it he says you have another 10 i said no this is a pop one i have a nine he's like well why wouldn't you keep the 10 I said for my collection i don't keep 10s right so like if i have two copies of a card i have no problem grading both and if the one gets a 10 and the other one doesn't i'll move the 10 get other stuff in my collection. Okay. So it's interesting that you mentioned the PSA there and um, that kind of segues us to our next take, uh, which doesn't surprise me much though, because even though you mentioned PSA 10, I think you're kind of a BGS simp, uh, but your next take is that cards in BGS labs are just as nice as PSA. Talk to me about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the grading companies all have their flaws. Um, I think, I think those are all well documented. But, you know, for me, at least when I'm looking at two cards in two different slabs, um, it, both are, you know, they say they're mint condition cards. I, I believe them. And, uh, you know, a mint in a BGS slab or a mint in a PSA slab, there's really not any difference. Uh, you know, again, 
to the naked eye, you're really not going to be able to pick up the differences between the two of them. Uh, in some cases, you might, you know, have a preference if one is a little bit better centered than the other one, um, you know, but you'd be hard pressed to tell me that every single one on one company is is better than the other one. I, I don't I don't buy that. And I know we talked about relics earlier with the game jerseys, but even those are relatively thin. You don't do a lot of thick cards or relics, so you don't have that uh, issue that you run into when it comes to slabs and which slabs are better for thick cards, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I PSA recently changed their thick slabs. I hated the PSA thick slabs that they had before. Uh, I like the ones that they have better uh, now for thicker cards. But yeah, if I have a thick card, like honestly, like the SGC slabs to me for thick cards were better than the PSA thick slabs, just just in aesthetics, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I I love having a thick card in a in a BGS slab. Um, but CGC has great uh, thick slabs also. So yeah, uh, for for thick slabs, I don't have a lot of them. I don't have a lot of cards in my collection that require them. Um, but PSA is probably the lowest on the on that list for me. Okay, so you mentioned two other companies there, which takes us right into your hot take number three. You said only four grading companies matter. So it was the really you you've gone through them in order here. You got PSA, BGS, SGC, and CGC. So now a lot of people probably wouldn't include CGC in there. So tell mm-hmm. me, you know, what what's with the the um love for CGC? Yeah, so I think CGC has uh enough history in grading uh collectibles that i think that they have kind of shown that they have some expertise in the space uh being able to detect flaws and, and issues in condition of cards uh so i think that not only do they have enough expertise that i'm comfortable with the condition that they assess a card in but also their slabs look really nice they're really crystal clear uh, they really feel good. They feel like the card is secure. And, and a lot of why we have card slabbed is for protection, right? Like mm-hmm. the authentication, the identification of the condition and protection of the card. So I think that they are doing just a good enough job on all of those. Um, and aesthetically, I think some people might actually prefer them. Yeah, well, and, and guess what, people? If you're buying raw cards off of eBay and they're going to authentication, they're going to CGC. So uh, some people might not realize that, but yes, they are looking at a lot of that stuff. Now, I think what bothers me about CGC, and and I don't have a bone to pick with them necessarily, but the fact that they came out with that green and white label at the start, and then Mm -hmm. they switched to the black label, black and white label, and then they've kind of merged names and stuff. It just seems like a lot of changes all at once. and, And I just... You know, if, if I'm grading with them, I'm wondering, are they going to change things again or, or are we going to get some continuity here? Do you have uh, any sort of preference there when it comes to that stuff? Yeah, no, that's a great point. So those green flips uh, were hideous, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've bought some, right? Like, And again, a lot of times if I need a card in my collection, um, I don't really care as much about the grade if it happens to be a graded copy. Uh, like I know you, you and I have talked a lot about the retro fractors from, from heritage and mm-hmm. I want to get an Iverson in my collection that ended up coming in a, a CGC green flip slab. Um, and I just, I just wanted the card. I didn't really, I think it was a nine off the top of my head if I remember correctly, but um, I like the CSG uh, before they changed to CGC, but I understand, you know, from brand continuity, it, it makes sense. Um, but I'm glad they got rid of those green flips. And I, I forgot about that, Iverson. I still need that one for my set. So if you do end up with an extra somehow, then you know uh, where to go with that. Okay, 
Uh, next one here, we're moving away from the whole grading thing. We're still on the, the initials. You've got PMG Reds are overrated. So uh, please, 90s b-ball cards, tell us about how PMG Reds are overrated. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that this one will catch some uh, some uh, raised eyebrows. But yeah, I think that there's there's a lot to do about them. And yeah, they definitely stand out in a, in a dealer showcase. But, um, you know, it's a card that there's 90 copies of. And there's a lot of cards in the 90s that there are fewer than 90 copies or right around that, you know, that don't get nearly as much love that have just as much eye appeal. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of people are kind of in the, you know, you mentioned FOMO before. I am definitely guilty of, of falling into that. And I think that there's a lot of people that love the PMGs, especially the reds because of the FOMO of, you know, they keep seeing people talk about them. They keep seeing the prices rise and they don't want to, you know, be left without one if it gets to be, you know, a price that they really can't afford. Uh, but I think there's a lot of collectors that are priced out of PMGs. And uh, I think a lot of those collectors might want a PMG at some point in their collection. Um, I'm looking at myself in the mirror in this context. Um, but they have found things that they like just as much, if not in a complete amount more uh, than they would enjoy a PMG in their collection. So for that reason, I, I think that they're completely overrated. And there's a lot of other more aesthetically pleasing cards that the 90s has to offer that are just as rare. Now, when you say a PMG for your collection, you're talking about your penny collection, right? Specifically? Yep. Okay. Yep. Because you have owned PMGs before, or at least a PMG. I think you had a football one at one mm -hmm. point. Was it a Cowboys player? So I've had a few football PMGs. Yeah. So I had a Michael Irvin. Um, I had a Chris Dudley, I think his name is. Some, somebody from the Raiders. I think right now I have some guy from the Chargers, you know, just to have one. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was I was buying those when the commons for football were like, you know, $50 and less. Right. Um, they're not that anymore, at least not the last time I looked. Yeah, they've definitely gone up. But, you know, like you you mentioned earlier, the print run of basketball is 90. Well, the football, there's there's still more out there and, and seemingly yep. more more common players that I've never heard of. Um, but I do try to grab them <laughs> if I ever see them cheap. Okay. Um, next one, you said the PMGs are overrated. So this, you know, let's just keep going with that. You're saying that RPAs are overrated. Now we'll need a little clarification mm. there, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, and flesh that out first. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about RPAs are like the rookie card to get of players. We're getting a little bit out of the nineties, right? RPAs mm -hmm. didn't come until the, into the two thousands. Um, you know, so especially when you start getting to stuff that's event worn player worn. And then some of the stuff that's like not even worn by a specific player at a specific event. Uh, you know, it's getting pretty obscure where it's really the piece of the Jersey is just an aesthetic piece of the card. Uh, it doesn't really add a whole lot of value in the sense that like the, you know, looking at the exquisite RPA of LeBron, like, you know, LeBron had that Jersey on mm -hmm. um, and that there's an autograph that he put on that card himself, you know, you start getting into some of the more modern stuff and it's just like, it's a, it's a Hornets Jersey from something from somewhere. Right. So, um, you know, those, I don't think at least if, if I was collecting a modern player, like, you know, let's say I'm, I'm collecting Paulo Bancaro. Mm -hmm. I don't really care to get his RPA. If there's a card of his, that's a rookie card that looks nice that, you know, kind of ticks all the right boxes. Like I would love, a prism blue rookie of Paulo, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it has that aesthetic appeal. It matches the Jersey, all that kind of stuff. I would rather that much more than an RPA and the price 
that typically comes along with an RPA, uh, like the PMG seems a, a little bit, uh, a little bit much for what you're getting. Yeah. Someone sent me uh, a listing for a Kendall Brown RPA the other day. He's one of the Pacers rookies and it was one of the acetate ones. And visually it's a great looking card, but I, I call them prop cards where the, it's the non-associated stuff. They're just props and mm-hmm. it's like a manufactured patch. And personally, I have stayed completely away from that stuff for, you know, ever since they started doing that in 2020, I've stayed away from it. I actually don't mind player worn for RPAs because I think there's um, some continuity. And I think there's some importance to the rookie photo shoot. I'm fine with that. The non-associated stuff though, I can't do. And um, I don't know. It just, it bothers me. Maybe if I was brand new to the hobby and that continuity wasn't something I was going for, I could see it more as just a manufactured patch and I could deal with it, but um, not something that I want in my collection either. So I'm with you. Let's go with the, the color match prism or something else along those lines. Okay. Um, so now you've got number six here. You said sticker autos are trash. And then you did say, unless a player doesn't have any on card autos, but let's sticker yeah. autos are trash. I don't know if that's really too hot of a take. I'm not here to, yeah. to uh, gauge all of those, but I want to hear you out either way. Yeah. I, I just think uh, if I'm getting a card, that's got an autograph on it. And then I start seeing, you know, some sort of holographic pattern that just is on the sticker. Um, you know, it just reminds me that, that a player got a sheet of stickers and they just started scrawling their name across all of them. And then some, you know, intern ripped them off and slapped them on a card. It just, it, it makes the autograph, which usually gives a little bit more of a personal touch to the card uh, and kind of connects you to the player a little bit more. Uh, it takes you uh, a few steps removed from that. Um, and also, uh, we've seen tons of examples where those autos go off of the card. They get mm-hmm. stuck onto the card upside down, all kinds of nonsense where it's like, come on, <laughs> we're really getting into some, uh, some kind of wild territory where it's just like, you know, if you want an autograph, just save up for the one that's on the card, the player touched it. Um, you know, and, and again, if there's none out there, then sure. The sticker auto is the only thing you have to go with. Um, but for a lot of players, there are a lot of options, you know, even looking at Penny, right? He doesn't have a lot of nineties autos. He has a lot of modern autos. A lot of those happen to be stickers, but you can find some on-card autos of Penny from the modern products that are not too expensive. So I do have to ask you, since you are the nineties guy, what about those Fleer stickers that kind of looked like silver seals and they kind of looked like they were part of the card. Uh, now Fleer, you're not tricking us here, but. Uh, what do you think of those, Jake? Yeah, so I liked those when they came out because I didn't. I felt like they weren't trying to trick us, and they were just trying to innovate in some way. Um, I didn't mind those as much as the ones that's like, hey, you know, we're going to try to make this as clear as possible and try to make it really blend into the card. And you know, if you're looking at a scan on eBay, you might think it's on card. Those are the ones that annoy me the most. Um, but. Again, those are sticker autos, and I would, you know, if you can get a Skybox autographics rather than a Fleer Fresh Ink, um, I'd rather the Skybox autographics, which is on card. Right. Yeah, we had the we had the Fleer seals. We had Upper Deck had some silver ones. Tops definitely had some silver ones that mm. um, stood out like a sore thumb. And uh, eventually, they they have innovated some over the years. We know that Panini can make a nice looking sticker auto. They can build it into the card. They very rarely do that. 
Uh, hopefully that's something that if, if we do have to live in this world of sticker autos in the future, then hopefully we can have some that are done at least a little bit better. I wouldn't mind even the, the silver seals coming back. Okay. Um, number seven says card shows are underrated and we need more. Okay. Now you have a lot of card shows in your area, or at least I feel like you do. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, card shows get a lot of love. Um, but I feel as though, and I don't go to nearly as many as I would like to, you know, I, I might get to outside of the national, like two or three a year. Um, but you know, there's a lot of factors that, that play into that. So, um, I think that when you go to a card show, you really get to feel the hobby. You get to see it, you get to hear it, you get to smell it. Um, you know, so you, you really, uh, also just get the energy, you know, that, that really is the hobby you know because doing stuff on screens is you know the best that a lot of us can do but you're not getting the full effect right there's a lot of people that participate in the hobby that that aren't on social media there's a lot of people that participate in the hobby only in person um and i think for that reason they are underrated you know because it's just like i feel like that's like that and going to an lcs are like the two most thrilling exhilarating hobby experiences that i can think of um and the reason why I say more is because I think that we have a lot uh, that are are building up, but I feel like there's a lot of places in the country that I hear people say, there's no card shows near me. Uh, you know, it, you said like, there's a lot near me and it depends on how wide of a radius we draw. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a good amount of card shows in Connecticut, uh, you know, but not Northern Connecticut, which is closer to me, right? There's one that I can really think of. Uh, there, there has been some shows in Springfield, but, uh, you know, those have been few and far between of late. So, you know, there was a quarterly show that was starting to build up and, and that hasn't been quarterly. Uh, and then there's a lot of good shows in the Eastern part of Massachusetts, you know, out towards Boston, you know, once you get past Worcester, um, you know, but that's a little bit of a haul from some, you know, for some people from Springfield. So like, um, I know that, you know, I'm really just talking about my locale, but like, if you go to a lot of places in, you know, Northern New England, talking Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, there's not a lot of shows, um, you know, and there, that's just New England, right? That's just one small piece of the country. So I know there's a lot of people that are underserved with LCSs and shows. So I think that, um, there's definitely room for more. Okay. Um, so you said that the card shows are underrated. Now, something you might find, in, and even at the uh, card shop, you might find it there as well. Your number eight hot take is that bargain boxes are underrated. Okay. Now, I, of course, I love a good bargain. Who doesn't? Tell me mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't want to say dollar boxes because sometimes they're great bargain boxes that aren't just dollars. Sometimes they're less, sometimes they're more. Um, but I feel like we see a lot of content about, you know, the stuff in the showcases, those, you know, four or five, six figure cards. Um, but I know for me, some of the most thrilling stuff that I've done at card shows is finding a PC card in a dollar bin. Right. And it might be worth a dollar. Right. But just something that I have not been able to find. I've been trying to track down or finding a card that, you know, the five dollar card in a dollar bin. You know, finding that, that kind of diamond or rough, it, it really is treasure hunting. And I know for a lot of people, treasure hunting, you know, really gets the juices flowing. Um, you know, and I just think that you can really, you know, it's like going to a casino and really 
lose the, the, the track of time when you're going through a dollar bin or, you know, a bargain bin. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And you also learn a lot. You see a lot of stuff that you've never seen. I think it's a lot of fun going through bargain bins with a friend that maybe collects different stuff than you. And, you know, if you're going through it with somebody that collects football and you collect basketball, they might show you some stuff of a team or a player that you like that you've never seen before. Um, and then they can educate you a little bit on it and vice versa. Uh, so I think that that could be a lot of fun uh, to, to also learn a lot from. Yeah. And I've experienced that even virtually because now that I'm, I'm using the GoPro at some of the shows that I go to, I try to upload a little bit of footage, not a ton, but a little bit of footage every time I go of me digging through a box and it seems like it, it never fails. There's someone in the comments that'll say, you know, why'd you pass right by this such and such card or why'd you do that? Mm. And, and I'll say, well, you know, I didn't know about it. And um, so I'm still learning through people even when they aren't there. So uh, that's been a lot of fun and something I really didn't expect out of that. Uh, I will say though, for all of you that are making value boxes and dollar boxes for the love of God, please stop putting every Chronicles, and prism and optic rookie in there from the last three or four years. Uh, I am so tired of seeing that same stuff. Illusions, please no more illusions in there. Thank you. All right. Number nine. My favorite. Said, yeah. Well, okay. So here, here's the deal. I like illusions, right? Illusions has some really great inserts. Um, they kind of look like some of the old showcase cards. Yep. Illusions as a product is, is great. It's a cheap product, but Yep. Just having to see it nonstop and, and kind of having it forced on you nonstop, it, it's taken away from it and, and it just makes it feel cheap, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Illusions is, is really a great economy product out there that I would recommend for anyone that's looking for Agreed. something cheap to rip. Okay, number nine, you said repacks are trash. So um, clarify a little here because a repacks, is there's kind of a broad range there. Yeah, and, and I'm probably painting with too broad of a stroke there. Um, I'm really thinking of, um, well, there, there's a couple of things I'm thinking of. Kind of like the Fairfield repacks um, of late years have, have gone downhill quickly. <laughs> They're yeah. not a, a great value. Um, but also there's a lot of people that make their own repacks, and those are kind of a mixed bag. Some of them are better than others. I'll, okay. I'll say that. But I'm, I was really thinking when I was writing that, I was thinking mostly about Fairfield and full transparency. My early days collecting, I was buying, I was going for those in the New England area that remember the Ames department store. I would go to Ames. I would buy what was the Fairfield equivalent of the day, uh, which would have a couple of hobby packs in it and a whole bunch of, you know, like uh, French language collector's choice and a whole okay. bunch of other stuff. Um, a lot of my early collecting days and a lot of my early collection was made up from those um, but the value that you could get in those then is not the same as what you're getting in those product, those similar products today. Um, you know, and, and for that, I say they're trash. Yeah. And that actually surprised me because I was thinking, well, surely he's talking about the things that breakers are putting together. No, you're actually talking about the, um, like the target repacks and such. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I remember I, I really, and I actually have a saved search in, in eBay for Fairfield repacks, just because I'm, I'm looking for some from the two thousands, those repacks from the two thousands where they like glued the packs onto the cardboard and then yep. like folded it up inside. And it's like the strongest glue ever. I, you just had to cut the packs yes. off. Um, yep. I, I just cut, I just slit the top of all the packs because I couldn't peel them off of that cardboard. But, um, I tell you what, I would love 
to open one of those again, just for the nostalgia purpose of it, but uh, still looking for one of those. I did find one the other day from like 2017. That was kind of fun, but I want one okay. from the early 2000s. Like I used like 2003 or four range, like I used to open. So I am on the watch for that. Okay. Uh, number yeah. 10, number 10, you said inserts don't have to be highly valuable to be great. And that, that mm -hmm. uh, could probably be some of that illusion stuff. So tell me a little bit of what you're thinking here. You got that right. Yeah. I think that there's a ton of very aesthetically pleasing insert cards uh, um, that just get kind of get passed over because people are like, oh, it's not worth much. Um, you know, you're a hundred percent right on the money with, with the illusions. There are some beautiful acetate hollow foil covered inserts and illusions that, um, you know, they're not going to break the bank. And um, I think that I know if I was going through a dollar bin and I found some of that type of stuff of a player that I like, you know, I would grab it for a dollar. Even if, even if I have a strong inclination, I could probably find it for like 75 cents on Com C. You know, sometimes just grabbing it in the dollar bin. If I say, yeah, I'll, I'll pick that up somewhere online and I put that card down, I'm probably never actually going to search for that card, right? It's a little bit of an impulse purchase. But again, it's the eye appeal. It's a easy way to remember a good time at a show. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the 90s like that also. I've talked about 99, 2000, Fleer Tradition, hardwood uh masters of the hardwood right it's a beautiful embossed card it has a little bit of hollow foil on it uh you know i made a video of like the the most the top 10 affordable inserts from the 90s uh you know and, and affordable is kind of a relative term but i think that there are beautiful eye-catching valuable uh you know in in terms of of nostalgia or in terms of um you know desirability for you um inserts that aren't going to really be too um capital intensive yeah whenever i see acetate i always think like oh this is this has got to be a, a you know a real quality card and and that's why i think where illusions is so tricky because then it's like oh no this card's worthless but it, it's it's kind of this this trap that we're in because it's like you know if you like the card you like the card it shouldn't matter what it's yeah. worth so uh, i do like that take i agree with that Okay, number 11, and I'm wondering if this wasn't inspired by a recent episode of Stacking Slabs. You said uh, Fleer Ultra Gold Medallions are greater than Platinum Medallions. Okay. Ironically, um, I had written that before I watched that Stacking Slabs episode. So, um, uh, uh, and then when I when I listened to that episode, I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I feel as though... Um, uh, so gold medallions have a longer history in the in in the hobby. Um, so that's that's the first thing. It's it's just like we're you know when we sit there and talk about refractors and and golds, right? Refractors were there before golds were, uh, and I think there's something to be said for that that longevity and that history. Um, so there's that, and then I feel as though you know different years did platinums better than others, mm -hmm. um, but there are some years that the platinum does not add much to the card. Uh, in some cases, it takes away 97 platinum medallions. I'm, I'm looking straight at you. Um, whereas I feel as though the gold medallions look much better. Um, and, you know, also, like, I always think about uh, we give a lot of love in the hobby to gold colored parallels. Mm -hmm. And then this is the one uh, area where we don't where it's like a, there's some, like 98 platinum medallion for basketball. It's it's basically a silver card. Uh, yeah. You know, so here's the one 
<laughs> the one exclusion. And I know platinum, if you look at the metal, the precious metal, it is closer to a silver looking color than it is gold. I, I understand that. But uh, it really felt like, okay, we've got the gold. Everybody loves gold. But we have to have something that's a higher tier than the gold. We can't make a lower tier than – it felt like it was forced. And I think aesthetically, uh, a lot of the a lot of the golds are just better. Okay. I, I You know, I really can't argue with you there. Uh, I did think the timing of that was pretty interesting, though. So uh, I am going to skip over a couple of your hot takes here, not because they aren't good, but simply because our time is running out and we have to get to this last one. I can't let you go without this last one where you said don't peel finest cards okay <laughs> don't so you are anti-peel tell me about that give me your reasoning what's going on there yep and i and i i can already hear the dms coming in from from certain people uh that we know so well they um, tell you on the peel to peel them right so they do, okay. they do so, and i and I've, I've heard that so um i like cards the way that they came out of the path and, uh, and I've heard the argument that the pack opening process isn't completed until you've peeled the cards. Uh, I, I want them the way that they were in the pack. Uh, the other thing, too, is you can never, you can always take the peel off the card. You can never put the peel back on the card. Um, you know, so that's one of the things for me. And like I get when people say I take the peel off because aesthetically it looks better. I can't argue with that at all um, because they're right. <laughs> I've I've gotten cards in my collection. I have cards in my collection that have been peeled, not by me, um, and they look better. But I would still, when I have one that has been peeled in my collection, I still want a peeled version of the card or an, an unpeeled version of the card because, again, you can never put that peel back on. So, you know, I think a lot of these are getting peeled because people want to get higher grades and those peels tended to lead to lower grades not all the time you can you can see some high grade versions um but i feel as though over time there's going to be fewer and fewer with the peel still on it so if you are a person like me i'm not saying go and buy up all the ones with peels because they're going to be more valuable that's <laughs> don't take that from this i'm saying if you're a person like me that that wants it to be the way that it was in the pack in your collection um you know get them while you still can because they they might be harder and harder to find as as days go on yeah and i sounded like i was opposed to you earlier on i actually am the same as you where if it's not peeled i don't want to be the one to do that because it just feels like i am uh i don't know you know i'm changing the population like oh now there's one less mm -hmm. like this now and it'll it's it's not reversible now, with that being said, I don't know if you've been able to listen to the episode with Kyle Collects yet, where he talked about the mystery finest refractors. Uh, now, that to me was pretty wild. Leaving that on, even though I'm I'm all for like leaving the peels on. What do you think of that? Yeah, you know that's an interesting thing. I actually so like for Penny for some of the mysteries, I have unpeeled versions of those in my collection. Um, some of them you can tell who the player is without mm -hmm. peeling them. Um, you know, so in those cases, that's, that's how I know I have a penny. Uh, there are some that you can't tell, but, um, I love the mystery finest. Um, I think it's a kind of fun thing, but it, again, I only buy ones and leave them the way that I purchase them. Right. I, I don't like taking the peels off. So if I want one of those mystery finest that are unpeeled, um, then I go and I try to find that unpeeled and I leave it unpeeled. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a struggle, right? And if we we want to display this stuff, then we have to buy multiple copies. That's like the the uh, no protector yep. 
backs. I, I have different versions in my binder where I have just the backs of the cards showing just because I, I have to have two copies to show that. So, um, you know, that's, that's us. We're fickle, right? So Jake, I think you've given people plenty of stuff to think about today. Before I let you go though, why don't you go ahead and plug your socials and your YouTube and then anything else you might be looking for here. These next few moments are yours. Yeah. So first off, thanks for giving me my own hot take episode. Cause I, I definitely did have some FOMO when I, uh, I missed the casting call for, for the episode before. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. Uh, 90s underscore b-ball underscore cards. Uh, same name if you're looking for me on YouTube for any videos. Uh, Twitter, I'm there occasionally under the same. Uh, Facebook, you can find me every once in a while floating around there. Uh, and and I have made some more TikToks, or I think I made one uh, over okay. the last three weeks. So <laughs> So occasionally you'll find me on TikTok as well. I'm going to have to take your word for that. I have still not ventured into that area, but I'm definitely rooting on your TikTok journey because I, I just don't like a tease. So I, I like to see more of those here in the future. All right. Well, Jake, I really appreciate it. Thanks again. All right. Well, there you have it. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>